Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. This episode of the Major Spoilers podcast goes out to some of our newest patrons, including Tim Keister, Matthew Lazarowitz, Kimberly Sunderland, and Dean. You can join these super fans in a growing community of patrons at patreon.com slash major spoilers. You can get access to shows, original art, a behind the scenes look at what goes on at major spoilers. And of course, you can get exclusive content found nowhere else. It's all over at patreon.com slash major spoilers. How did you get Dean? The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Ashley. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, Cloak and Dagger and the Mysterious Case of the 80s Plotting, a certain Sumerian changes his zip code. Denny Colt is once more in the streets of Central City while Scott Free returns to Apocalypse. The cover-to-cover combat continues. We find out exactly what Ashley's damage is and find Rodrigo's killer instinct plus antibiotics. Don't end up in a cartoon in a cartoon graveyard, my friends. Grab your trumpets and call me Al. You can be my bodyguard because the Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Da, 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 da. Welcome to issue 762 of the Major Spoilers podcast. Thank you so much for downloading and checking us out this week. In the third da, segment of the da, show, da, da. we're going to be looking at spectacular Spider-Man uh, issues, not because of Spider-Man. But because there's no. a show coming out on, what is it, ABC Freeform or whatever it is? It used to be Family Channel, and then it used to be ABC Freeform. and something whatever else. Whatever the hell that thing is, yeah. Well, I thought it would be out this week, but apparently it's it, there's no release date yet. Cloak and Dagger is coming out, so we'll be talking Cloak and Dagger in the, uh, the last half of the segment. But before then, we've got news, reviews, and a whole lot more, so let us get to that Wheel of Destiny. Matthew, we have this week, The Legend of Zelda tops the list of the top 100 manga comics in 2017. Manga. Yeah, we got the we got the Magnus uh, comic sales slump in 2017, and Conan returns to Marvel. Let's spin that wheel of destiny. Let it turn. Let's figure out a lesson that we must learn. And it is Dark Horse cannot hold on to its properties as Conan Oof. returns to Aww. Marvel after 15 years. Uh, Dark Horse has been no. I believe me. I'm not making fun of Why Dark, are you Horse here. Dark Horse. I am. Man, I am seriously concerned about this. Because after 15 years of running uh, Dark Horse Comics, basically adapting the books straight into comic book form and doing a fantastic job of it, uh, and then also doing some amazing other Conan properties, including the most recent Conan uh, Wonder Woman series with Gail Simone, Conan the Barbarian mm. or the Conan Properties International say, has said, hey, you know what? We're going to bring those, uh, those uh, Conan uh, comic books back to Marvel, who first uh, started doing Conan comics in the 1970s and ran those for at least 650 issues until about the year 2000. Then all things went dark uh, for Conan for a couple of years until Dark Horse took it over. Uh, first of all, let's get reactions to Conan coming back to uh, Marvel. We won't see those first comics until 2019, but Marvel saw fit mm-hmm. to uh, announce that news now. Uh, let's start with Ashley on this. Well, 
Um, Ashley's never read a Conan comic book. Mm, adding Conan to oh, our future really list. Good. I I saw the movie. Which it one? Was, Which one? Oh, there's more than one. The well, Jason there's the Rome Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, I saw the a, Arnold Schwarzenegger one. Okay, it had good one. really good music, and it had Mako. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to yeah. pretend that all the rest of it didn't happen. <laughs> well, um, um, yes. Conan the Destroyer that would be a good mistake. Uh, it was actually way better than I thought it was going to be, but I still yeah. don't know if it's objectively uh, speaking a good movie. Kind of like Highlander. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I I don't have like a personal stake in, wh- in who Conan really belongs to at any time. Like I have the same kind of feeling about Red Sonia. Um, I think it's interesting that Marvel ate this license because to me, this feels very much of a piece of Disney eating um, Fox. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, look at this other little Disney arm eating smaller companies. How mm-hmm. interesting. Um, I think, uh, I don't know. It's always tough when the big two absorb a smaller label. And it's not just because they wanted Jim Lee. So they said, sure, we'll buy all of Wildstorm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is closing the market in a way that feels a bit like a bully. But at the end of the day, anyone can buy whatever license they want. Sure. What I think is maybe most interesting is our, how long until we get the cutesy version of Conan? Because that's <laughs> something that Marvel's done quite a bit of recently. We get these sort of like cute versions and then yeah. three years later, a bunch of people yell about it and we, yeah. kill, we kill the book and, you know, all that. Um, so I think it, it's interesting what Marvel might do with it. If Marvel might try to take Conan out of the box that it is traditionally held in. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I don't I don't know if it's a good thing. Yeah, Matthew, it's interesting because, you know, uh, uh, Marvel did have Conan comics, 650 issues of Savage Sword of Conan, Conan the Savage, Conan the Barbarian, Conan the Adventurer, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Um, Some of those are reprints, though. Yeah, but I would think if Conan Properties International was going to pick any publisher to move stuff with, that they might have considered Dynamite Entertainment because they're doing, you know, Red Sonja. They've got the uh, the pulp uh, uh, stuff. They've got Tarzan. They've got Sheena. They've got... uh, uh, Doc Savage, uh, Shadow, all of that stuff. And it would Who seem like John Conan, Carter. Uh, that's Dynamite Entertainment does that. Mm-hmm. And so it almost seems like Conan would be a, a perfect fit maybe over at Dynamite. But what are your thoughts on this this Marvel acquisition? My thoughts are that this is Marvel trying to bring things back into the fold. I think that this mm. is entirely a question of Conan started as a Marvel comic in 1970 in comics form and kind of i'm not going to say that the marvel comic revitalized conan as a character but there is a grain of salt in there that you can look at and go yeah i can kind of see that you kind of brought him back into that that central focus i really feel like this is a nostalgia move by marvel this is a hey Mm -hmm. look it's back under our umbrella we lost it but now it's back and i feel like it is intentionally designed to echo the return of star Wars. Yeah. And I think that we will probably see red Sonya leaving whichever publisher has red Sonya right now. Dynamite. And red Sonya coming back to Marvel as well. But here's the thing that's important to know even more. So than Lucasfilm over the, the Marvel comics, which Jackson exists. So it wasn't always universal Conan properties keeps their thumb on Conan stories Conan oh, yeah. Properties International has a ton 
of control over what is and isn't in the Conan comics. And I don't know that we're going to see the kind of wild, crazy stuff that we're seeing, like, say, with Star Wars, with Darth Vader's solo book, with Dr. Aphra, with the miniseries that they're doing and coming around and saying, look, here's all this wild, weird stuff that we want to do. I'm not sure that... A, you can do that with Conan, but more importantly, I'm not certain that Conan Properties is going to let them. So I feel like, other than maybe the creators inside being Marvel exclusive, or maybe whoever Sigil is on the cover, mm-hmm. you may not see the huge change that you're expecting between Dark Horse's final issue and Marvel's first one. You know, Rodrigo, the thing that comes to mind uh, with this with this uh, acquisition or this license is uh, Image Comics and Angela. Remember how Marvel made this big deal right. about, oh, we've got Image Comics Angela, and she's coming to Marvel Comics. She's going to be part of the you Marvel know, U. That then, character we all wanted to come back. Yeah, and then nothing, right? I mean, she was there, and then she's gone. Um, I, I'm she concerned had a solo that, book. She was a guardian going? of the galaxy. Oh, is it still oh, no. going? Oh, yeah, okay. and she was in that, um, what was that all-girls Avengers team that they made a big deal about, but it was only a miniseries and it wasn't very good? Yeah, she was on that, too. I, I'm, I'm concerned that Conan will suffer the same fate of, hey, we brought the property back and now we're not doing jack with it. I mean, that's entirely possible as uh, someone who has um, taken progressively more uh, steps into the old, jaded comic book nerd clubhouse. Um, I see news like this, and sometimes I'm like, oh, I look forward to one day seeing this as a period of time during which Mar- like Marvel had Conan again. And I will mm-hmm. be like, hey, remember back when Marvel had Conan again? That lasted all of six months. Um <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that's that's the the cynical side of things. Um, you know, as uh, trust I, your feelings, Rodrigo. You know yeah. to be true. Oh, I've I've actually been a cynical old comics fan since I was fifteen. Uh, basically, Embrace the dark side, Rodrigo. The X Men broke my heart, and I've never recovered. Um, right. But um, you know, I did enjoy a lot of the uh, Dark Horse. And, and other publishers that have had Conan stuff, you know, it's like I would periodically jump in and I would be like, yeah, this is a Conan story because here's the secret. Two thirds of all stories could be Conan stories. He's been a king, <laughs> a barbarian, a thief, uh, everything. Conan is. I, I mean, he's Aquaman, right? <laughs> Soldier a, spy. a pirate, you know, anything. And like you yep. can fit Conan anywhere. You can give him a group of cool friends that fill out the party or you can just send them out on his own to kill yeah. a giant cute seal. No, that's something else, but that's something um, else. that is something else. That's um, saga. <laughs> it's a uh, battle bug. <laughs> yeah. You know, with the exception of power Rangers, uh, time force, he'd fit into any season of power Rangers. There sure. I mean, that's, I, that's the thing about Conan is he's such a like constant, you can you can always go back to Conan. I mean, I remember seeing some Conan or Conan knockoff as a child in like those little like thick little cereals. S E R cereals, not C E R cereals. Although I'm sure he's had his own cereal as well. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like a like I remember at a barber shop seeing like Turoks and Conans and cowboy stuff. <laughs> so 
I, I, you know, it's like Marvel's going to make money off of this. This could be a move for Disney to try to get its tendrils deeper into Conan and maybe, ha- uh, you know, put that up as a new version, uh, or like basically try to get a new movie out of the deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, it's going to be pretty difficult for Marvel to do anything wrong with Conan because Conan, again, fits into lots of different things. And you have to work pretty hard to damage such a constant enduring property because the bad stuff just falls off. Like, I think we've all read, well, those of us that have read Conan comics, I think we've all read bad Conan comics or bad crossovers or crossovers that didn't make any sense. And you just kind of tend to forget about those. Mm -hmm. They don't really damage Conan uh, as a property. I guess my concern now is. What's left for Dark Horse Comics? They lost Star Wars and they went from a number three publisher to sometimes not even a number five publisher. Uh, you know, they now they're losing Conan. Uh, if the 20 mm-hmm. we talked about this before, if the 21st Century Fox deal goes through, there's the potential for them to lose Aliens and Predator. They've got Hellboy. They've got a few uh, manga titles. We talked about this on Finally Friday. For those of you that listen to our live stream over at YouTube.com slash Major Spoilers. Uh, we talked mm-hmm. a little bit about that with some of our listeners uh, last Friday. But what's left for Conan or what's left for Dark Horse for, from your perspectives? Let's let's uh, swing it back around to Ashley then. Uh, whatever Dark Horse would like me to pitch to them and they can reach out at any time is what's left. Um, because right now... I guess they can reprint those Star Wars comics everyone likes. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I guess you. the Magnola verse is the is. That's the real really answer. the only thing. That's really the only thing. I mean, and they do have their video game art books and and those kinds of things, mm-hmm. and their mm-hmm. adult, more adult manga titles like Blade of the Immortal and and so on. Um, but Matthew, what what what's left for Dark Horse? Do they still have the Western titles, the Solar and the Magnus and the Turek? Uh, no, those they are don't have at, Turok anymore. Is that That's where Jeff at, Lemire is doing uh-huh. his weird superhero universe? I guess. Yeah. They Black have, Hammer. Yeah. They have his, uh, mm-hmm. Starman. I'm sorry. It's not Starman, except it's super Starman book that's coming out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They have, they have some little titles, but you know, even I mean, with as much as I praised Rasputin, um, what a voice of the dragon series that's going on right now, which is really great. I think it hit in December number 119 out of the top 300 list. And that was their oh. highest book. That's, that's Mignola stuff too, though. Yes. I mean, uh-huh. it's all sort of off of that, that family. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they, they just really need to get together with the author and just make a hard pitch for Usagi Yojimbo movie to Warner brothers. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. They already have the other rabbit properties and yeah. <laughs> uh, just go all in on that. Yeah. Matthew, any thoughts? Not really. I don't necessarily think that losing Conan is going to be the death of Dark Horse. I don't think it's going to be the end of them as, as a publishing entity. I think they still have the Buffy books, don't they? They have the Whedon. Yeah, they do. They, they still have that. Yeah. So, if they want to print I mean, it. There yeah. are- there are things that they can do, and I'm sure there are other properties. You know, you can do that Fifty Shades of Grey comic. Ugh. Actually, don't do that. Um, but you, I can mean, you know, Zodiac <laughs> Star Force. Yep, like, yeah, that comes out this week. A new, new run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. 
Dark Horse has been around for like 40 years at this point. That is something that we have to take into account is Dark Horse predates, well, not quite predates everything. Their Aliens versus Predator stuff was some of their earlier stuff, but yeah, they've been around the since the late 70s, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Are we going to see the return of, of Concrete and uh, Flaming Carrot and all that stuff, Matthew? Well, Concrete, sure. I'd love to see more Concrete. Or uh, what uh, is his name? Uh, Mr. Monster? <laughs> wow, you are definitely digging heavy. Yeah, well, uh, I'm trying to think. Ooh. I mean, I'm trying to think. Dark Horse, what can you do to save yourselves? What are some classic tales that you have that you can bring back? I don't think they're going to be able to don't, go back and do another don't. Sin City. Stop drowning, Dark Horse. They're they're <laughs> yeah, not. I, I, okay. I think they're. Yeah, I don't think they're doing as bad as you think they are. They've definitely. I mean, you're right. They've lost some big name properties. And that's certainly an issue, but you know, Dark Horse, that's half of Dark Horse. The other mm-hmm. half has always been um, that kind of like creator owned stuff, and that's alive and well. And in fact, some of their major pillars now are that, you know, the, the Mignola verse, all the Hellboy stuff. It just started out as a little comic that could. Yeah. Yep. And uh, now it's half of their, uh, half of their previews. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I've got this thing going on this year where I'm trying to get rid of five things a day where I'm just going through okay. and cleaning up just accumulated in trash junk. And uh, one of the things just this last week that came up on the five things list was my collection of art beats um, uh, stock footage library. Right. You know, like a hundred hundred DVDs worth of stuff. The reason why I got rid of it was because it was all SD footage. And mm-hmm. no one's going to be using SD stock footage anymore. And so I got mm. rid of it. It was no use to me. Then today I get an email from Artbeat saying, you know what? We've been in this business for 25 years and now we're shutting down. It's time for us to move on to greener pastures and just you enjoy retirement. Them. I killed them you by throwing them. that away. No, but that, but that simple connection right there made me think, what if this is a, you know, we don't know why Conan Properties International left Dark Horse. But what if Dark Horse is like, you know what? We've had a 30 plus year run. I, I don't know if Mike Richardson has been there since the beginning, but maybe it's time mm-hmm. for him to retire and he just wants to close down the company and he's doing it very slowly. I mean, this is all total speculation on my part. So I don't know if Dark yeah, Horse is publicly so irresponsible. What if this is like what just happened with Archie and the Dick Tracy license and it's just for pretend for the next 12 hours or so? <laughs> maybe, maybe, who knows? I mean, it I seems odd that, that Marvel so announces what it happened. It, it just seems so, so wild that Marvel announces this a year before the first issue is to arrive. Interestingly, though, Marvel did announce uh, the acquisition of the Star Wars line on January 14th of 20, whatever year it was, 13. 2014, 2015, whatever year. And almost mm-hmm. uh, to the day they announced the, the Conan property moving over to January, mm-hmm. bad month for dark horse. That's weird. You know, yeah. they could bring back the mask. They, they could. The mask. Yeah, they could. Unless uh, who is it? Universal. I, there may be some legal issues going on there. I don't remember. The mask started as a dark horse comic. In yeah. The, yeah. I know. But the other, there could be some rights issues. Stu- I, there may be some legal stuff that prevents them from doing it. I don't know. I'd have I to look that up. Doing, or were doing Legend of Korra comics, weren't they? Yeah, they are. Yeah, they're doing uh, OGNs. Yeah, they're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, I'm nice not saying Dark Horse is dead with a loss of Conan, but 
Man, you how much more can you? Did. How You're much like, more? Oh my God, how Dark much Horse, more? How are you going to save yourself? How much more can you cut away on Dark Horse before they're you know they're they do not have their power that they once held? You know I, they've had some tough breaks. They definitely have, and pretty much one hundred of them have one hundred percent of them have come from Disney. Mm-hmm. But um. You know, they're still around, you know, boom, lost the Muppets and mm-hmm. they're still doing okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They also lost, um, um, their McDuckTales and also the, yep, um, their Donald Duck stuff, their yeah. cars, uh, franchise, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's, it's been rough. It's been rough for, um, this, this vertical and horizontal integration that they've got on is it's been rough for everybody, but yeah. you know, they'll be okay. I hope if so. Anything, I really they do. can just generate more properties and then we'll get bought away from them. Well, see, maybe that's the thing. Maybe they, maybe they need to double down on finding, as Ashley said, uh, finding some newer projects to work on. Ooh. Or maybe they have them and we just don't know it. Maybe, maybe. I mean, what's the next big convention? Uh, it's not Emerald City. Is it New York Comic Con? WonderCon. Well, WonderCon. It, it is Emerald City, and then it's WonderCon, because Emerald City is generally two or three weeks before WonderCon. But WonderCon is the first Comic-Con international. And uh, Emerald City is up in is up uh, there in Seattle. Isn't that where Dark Horse is located? They're in Oregon, right? So maybe that's where they will. Maybe that's where they will uh, make an announcement. The only other thing would be either Chicago or New York. So I they have been very quiet. I've even asked them multiple times in emails. Hey, do you guys have any statement on this? And they have not. So tight lips mm-hmm. over Dark Horse. Or maybe they just, you know, it's, it's something that happens. It's a thing. Business. We don't necessarily comment on the contracts. Let's move on. Hey, you want to buy some Hellboy? I really, I really hope that eventually they do release our a statement, and the statement is just stop mourning us, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> you know they did release a statement when they when they lost the Star Wars property, so I've literally yeah. been waiting for them to post something on their blog about that. So, uh, listeners, head over to Majorspoilers.com and in the comment section, I would like to know your thoughts about uh, Conan's return to Marvel. Maybe you're excited about this. Maybe you can finally get that Thor Conan team up. That you've always wanted. Maybe Angela Jordan. will finally have a find a place in uh, uh, Hyperborea. Um, you never know. It's all possible at the House of Ideas. Uh, let us now do some reviews. Reviews. Ooh, coming out this week. Tomorrow, in fact. Today, depending on when you're listening or last week. Hello, future people. Will Eisner's The Spirit, The Corpse Maker, issue number five from Frank, Francesco Francovia. I don't know why this issue is so late. But this is the final issue in this uh, Cor- Corpse Maker series. Uh, we found out what's going on with the Red Coal, and it's finally up to the spirit and his uh, new detective friend to venture down below the crematorium in Central City and find out what's going on with the poison gas, the yellow serum, and walking zombies. And uh-huh. it's really good. Uh, this, though, you know, in the um, as the series has progressed, uh, Francesco Francovia has changed his color palette. The very first issues is like these deep blues and, and uh, yellows. And then it's kind of started to go to uh, purples and oranges. And by the time you hit issue five, you're back to his very comfortable color palette of uh, blue and red, dark blue and red. And it works really, really well. Uh, if you are familiar with his artwork, it is spectacular page after page. I think the conclusion of this story where of course the spirit catches the bad guy and all plans are revealed And uh, there may be even future teamings 
uh, going on between, uh, and I forgot forgot her name now, between the spirit and the uh, the detective that's running around Central City. And I would look forward to that. Uh, this is just a top-notch comic all around. Like I said, I'm surprised that it is this late, unless it was always supposed to be a quarterly kind of book. Uh, but go out this week if you have picked up the previous issues, and heck, might as well just pick this one up anyway. Go pick up Will Eisner's The Spirit, The Corpse Makers Number 5 from Dynamite Entertainment. So worth the adventure. It gets dark and creepy with lots of noir uh, uh, feeling to it. This definitely feels like a a well-done Will Eisner book. Uh, it definitely f- flows in his, for lack of a better term, it is in the spirit of Will Eisner. Oh. It just looks good. It it reads good. Is a good comic. This one is getting five slices of meatloaf out of five. Go pick it up this week. Matthew out, I believe, last week. Mm-hmm. Mr. Miracle number six, the halfway point in this uh, big series from Tom King and Mitch Gerards. Yep. And I've actually been kind of thinking about this Mr. Miracle thing because I loved the first couple of issues of Mr. Miracle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I really, really feel like they have done something interesting in terms of just the structure of the book. It feels like a fresh voice. And I've been kind of since the beginning, just a little bit leery of the whole expectation that Mr. Miracle may or may not have killed himself and may or may not be in purgatory. And as I go further into this series and as I, you know, really think about it and kind of get the feedback that bothers me a lot. And as I come into Mr. Miracle number six, I come into it with people that I respect having said to me, how can you like this because of the way that it deals with the themes of self-harm and suicide. And I've been thinking about that. And so as I'm reading this issue of Mr. Miracle, which by the way is a prolonged action sequence and it is really structurally great. It's this prolonged action sequence that actually is balanced with Scott and Barda talking about rearranging the house. So they'll be attacking and fighting and brutally killing, uh, creatures of apocalypse and he'll be like but all my stuff is in the closet even if your stuff isn't there your stuff will then be on top of my stuff if we put it in the closet and she's like no because i put my stuff away it's an interesting conversation and as i go through the whole issue the real fascination is in the breakdown of the panels and the structure of the art and the story and the way it's being put together but in the back of my head is this question of man that theme really keeps kind of chewing at me. And as the story goes on and doesn't really deal with anything other than the argument. And of course, one important shocking thing that Barta tells Scott during these pages, I start to wonder, I mean, is it fair of me to ignore that bit and just say that I really like this book? And I feel like now I'm conflicted about it because I really enjoy what is on the page. But then I also say to myself, is this all that story of, you know, a dying child's dream? So I, I don't know. I, I'm kind of talking around the whole point of it. But here's the deal. Visually, this is a stunning issue. The story itself is fascinating because of what it doesn't do. It doesn't call attention to 
the violence on the pages, and there is a lot of violence on the page. And when we get to the end of this issue, I had thought this was a six-issue limited, so I thought I'm now going to be reviewing the last issue of Mr. Miracle. It's not. This is a 12-issue limited series. So we're at the midpoint, and it ends with a shocking thing, and there's no the end, there's no to be continued, there's nothing. It just stops, and all of a sudden I'm reading a, uh, you know, a preview for The Silencer, or as I like to call it, the Punisher mom. And that was really kind of an awkward transition too. So as I went through the issue, I feel like it works on a number of levels. It's a really fascinating point of view comic. And it's something that I feel like I'm inside the head of the character, but I don't feel like the character is necessarily connecting with the story that's going on around him. And that's kind of fascinating too. There's a, I would say there's some definite out and out, uh, terrible blood killing stuff. So obviously if that's an issue, you may want to step back. And if you do have issues with the themes of, you know, self harm and a possible suicide attempt on the part of the main character, obviously this is something you'll want to watch out for, but I'm going to give it three and a half slices of meatloaf. As the series goes on, it gives me more to think about, and some of it I don't necessarily feel qualified to analyze. I mean, I feel like as someone who reviews comics, I try to do it from the perspective of, hey, I'm a nerd who really enjoys comics. This works for me and this doesn't. And sometimes those larger themes aren't really my bag to unpack. So I feel like maybe there are some themes here that this series needs to deal with as it gets into the second half. And hopefully by the end of it, it will have been dealt with in a manner that I feel is is respectful, if that makes any sense. So again, three and a half slices of meatloaf for Mr. Miracle number six. Uh, Tom King and Mitch Gerards are the creative team. And man, is it pretty. Yeah, it's really well done. Yeah, that, that side. Uh, Rodrigo, Killer Instinct number four from, I believe this is Titan Comics that publishes this. Killer Instinct number four it's, uh, is, the, oh, it's from Dynamite. Oh, okay. Um, is, uh, you know, the, the fourth issue in this Killer Instinct series. Um, I read the first one and I immediately thought to myself, this franchise has moved on from what I remembered about Killer Instinct because uh, all the characters that I like from Killer Instinct are uh, pretty much not in this. Um, and that's fine. <laughs> this is the... Uh, there's There have been Killer Instinct comics coming out, um, you know, with some consistency for a while. The story has moved on. There's just, like, new characters now. Um, but I, uh, I mean, I just was hoping to see a, like a, like a werewolf throttling a dinosaur at some point and just kind of didn't happen. Um, that said, uh, this is not a bad issue. Um, it has, uh, a lot of, uh, the sort of tropes that I enjoy. There's, uh. Um, a bad guy kind of joining the team because it's more advantageous for him to be a good guy at this stage, you know, and everybody's like, mm, I don't know if I trust you, bad guy. And the bad guy's like, well, you shouldn't. Um, <laughs> so that's fun. Uh, you know, ancient robots, you can't go wrong with that. 
alien threats, magic, kung fu. You know, it's it's a it's a it's a pretty pretty solid thing going on. Um, also, it has long since kind of dove into the deep end of, of magic. You know, Killer Instinct is a fighting game property. And if you followed my reviews of other fighting game based comics, those tend to be really ludicrous. And <laughs> it's nice to just be like headlong into it. You know, everything's magic and space aliens at this stage. You don't have like the constant reminders that this is ostensibly supposed to be taking place in the real world. Um, you know, the way that Tekken was constantly like, here's a car, here's a guy with a tiger head, here's a helicopter, here's a panda, like a like an actual kung fu panda, who is like an animal who knows kung fu. Um, it's just kind of disorienting. Um, altogether, again, I was sort of hoping for something else out of this Killer Instinct series. That doesn't mean it's bad. Uh, I'll give it three slices of meatloaf. Art is great. Really enjoy it. Characters are distinct. Uh, colors are good. Good times. Good times. Good times. Good times. Um, I believe, uh, when is that? Is that, that must be out this week as well from, uh, I from think Dynamite. so. Okay, cool. Yep. Ashley, finally out this yes. week. Brand new series from DC Comics. Damage number one. Yeah, DC does Marvel, and here's the first example of it. Um, Damage is, for all intents and purposes, the Hulk if Hmm. he were Captain America. Uh, Ethan, (laughs) Ethan is his name, Uh, or they call him Ethan. Apparently his nickname is Elvis, according to the solicit. I don't think anyone said that the entire issue. Um, Ethan was part of a super soldier program. And evidently the result is that he was hulked out and we spend the it's a 22 page comic. So we must spend 18 pages with him fighting another soldier who is really bad that he didn't get to become damaged while he watches damage destroy the city. Um, So he simultaneously both tries to stop damage and gets himself brutally injured while still screaming at damage, even though as far as we can tell damage doesn't have any higher brain function, uh, kind of like the Hulk when we first met him. So there's not a ton going on here in the final four pages. We see the woman who is much referred to she, 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 but she's never really named throughout this issue. She's blamed for all of this. She's not there to control damage. It's her fault that this happened. She is introduced and revealed. um, Yeah. Around page 18 or 20, She's in a park. That's not where damage is. I don't know why she's there. Um, and she meets a super well-known super team from the larger DC universe. And they're going to maybe team up to try and get this damage situation under control. And it might be a little glimpse as to where this character is going to land following this miniseries, assuming that it's successful and he stays a part of the larger DCU. I'm trying really hard not to spoil it. Um, What's interesting, I think, about the DC, what is it called? New Age of Heroes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm looking right at it, and I, I had no idea what it was called, <laughs> um, about DC Does Marvel, is that um, if you look at the billing, the nobody's credited as writer or artist um, inside in the IFC and the internal front cover and all that. They're created as storytellers. This is the one of the first lines that everyone is doing Marvel style. Mm. Um, and for those who don't know, the writer doesn't outline. The artist does a lot of the heavy lifting and storytelling. And then the writer comes back in and does dialogue. So all of the um, 
all the artists are being credited first. So Tony Daniel, who does the line art, is the first name on the cover, followed by Venditti, Robert Venditti doing the script. Um, and I think that's what's cool about this book. This is a great book if you loved 90s comics like me, because it is violent, it is beautiful, it's brash, and the story's there, and the story is compelling enough because we all like these tropes. That's why these characters have existed for as long as they have. But really, you're going to read damage because you love Tony Daniels' art, uh, like Ashley does. And that's going to be enough for you. It's a fun, it's a really fun book. It's a solid first issue. There's not as much information um, as I maybe would have liked, but there's no less that I needed to get a sense of what this is all about. Um, and it does end where you have seen both Damage and uh, Ethan, his alter ego, human host, however you want to think about it. I'm interested going forward if we're going to be spending more time with... Uh, damage or with Ethan and I'm hoping that it's a little more equiminable that's not how you pronounce the word I wanted to say um, than I'm imagining ecumenical yep thank you uh, but I think for I think for first issue it's fun and I think for an introduction into the new age of heroes it's not too heady and too out there um, the way some of the other previews I've seen for this series uh, or this line have been, I think it was a good choice for them to start with something that we all understand the shorthand of. So I'm going to give it a four to five. It was a good right. time. Cool. 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 I got to say, I do like the, the new DC um, corner graphic that they have on Me their too. books. Yeah. It looks really sharp. Yeah. I like that a lot. All right. Uh, and listeners do not forget this week in comic book stores, Jupiter Jet number two from Ashley Victoria Robinson and Jason Inman arrives. Yay. Not quite. I thought the, about the, reviewing it, but it seemed like a conflict of interest. <laughs> I'm going to go out there and say maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Five out of five stars. Uh, but, but do go check it out. Uh, go check out your local comic book shop and buy some comics. There's a lot of good stuff out there. And of course, you can head over to majorspoilers.com and find a bunch of reviews uh, and find out if books are right for you. Don't forget, also on Wednesdays, we release our major spoiler staff picks so you can go and find out books that we think that you might like or books that we're most looking forward to. And maybe mm -hmm. you might find some real gems in there as well. It's over there at Majorspoilers.com. Also, you can find the Major Spoilers Pull of the Week. Pull of the Week, 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 week. All right. This is the, this is the eighth in a series of your favorite comic book covers or which cover do you like most? This week, Ashley, we have Action Comics number one or Amazing Fantasy number 15. Which cover do you like most? I like Action Comics. I think even to this day, 80, are we 80 or are we 80 plus years 80. away from that? Mm, I can't, exactly I, 80. I June, can't math. June of uh, 80, 80 years past this design. I think this cover sums up what superheroes are and i think it sums up who superman is which is why it's aped in almost every major superman run including red sun where he's supposed to be kind of a jerk and i just say yeah like it's 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 emblematic of what american mythology is and what comic books are and i just think you can't beat it uh, I love it. If anyone wants to uh, get one of their original printings, not from 1994 off their hands, you can tweet me. <laughs> uh, Rodrigo, I got one what that about came you? in a loot crate. Well, uh, 
Uh, well, I agree that uh, action comics is really iconic, obviously. Very first superhero thing. Um, I think Amazing Fantasy is really strong as well. It also uh, really speaks to what superheroes are, to how we feel about them, to what they represent. But for me, when I look at Amazing Fantasy, um, that's kind of not Spider-Man. Like, there is something to that. Yeah, Kirby there, does not draw Spider-Man the same way that uh, the guys inside did. Yep, there's there's something about this Spider-Man that is much more actually superhero-y, much more square-jawed, uh, da-da-da-da, save-the-day kind of Spider-Man. Um, and Spider-Man does save the day, but not like this. You know, um, when I think of what a radical departure an Amazing Fantasy 15 was from an Action Comics 1, um, that is actually not represented in this cover. Uh, so for me, it has to be Action Comics number one, because even though they're both really iconic representations and really iconic comic book covers, Action Comics from the first moment captures Superman, whereas Spider-Man went through a lot of growing pains. Mm-hmm. Matthew, it's your turn. This is a tough one for me because as you know, as I mentioned, amazing fantasy 15 is Kirby and Jack Kirby was really, really excellent as an artist, Mm -hmm. but Rodrigo's point is true. This doesn't look like scrawny Spider-Man that we see inside. And if you said to me, Kirby did the cover, but Ditko did the interiors. I'm like, could you find a more dichotomous pairing? Could you find something? (laughs) Maybe, you know, maybe a cover by Greg Horn and interiors by, I don't know, someone who can draw, but you (laughs) have, sorry, that was, that was cruel. I didn't mean Greg Horn. I clearly meant that other dude, but land. Yeah, that's the one Greg land, Greg Horn. You're okay with me. Now, Greg Land, if you're listening, I'm sorry, brother. Now, moving on. For me, it falls down to the action, what we're actually seeing on these covers, because they are both basically frozen moments, panels from inside the book. And that Superman cover has such power. It's kind of primitivism. It has the smashing and it has the original shield and it has that car. I don't know what kind of car it is. Someone who knows cars needs to tell me what kind of car that is. And it has that scared guy in the foreground. See how scared he is. I want to know his story. We need a mini series about that guy. Scared guy from action comics. Number one needs his own series. So based on scared guy and just the, the amount of power packed into that cover, I'm going to go with the action comics. Number one, even though the spirit of Jack Kirby is going to sit on, you know, my bedpost and tell me how comics will break my heart tonight. Uh, that's probably just going to be a side effect of medication. I'll be fine. I'd like to think that that guy just was like, Oh, I can't believe I just saw that went home, changed into his green suit, immediately got in trouble and had to be saved by (laughs) Spider-Man. Oh my God! It's the same guy. It's totally the same guy. It is. Whoa, that's freaky, man. And you know what's even weirder? He's running away from atomic bomb on Hulk number one. Yeah. 
So here's the thing. Amazing Fantasy number 15 has these Mm -hmm. great action lines. It's got a super unique uh, angle of looking Mm -hmm. up at this guy who's swinging through the air and and effortlessly carrying this this guy. We can all pronounce things. Yes. And so Amazing Fantasy number 15 is really, really cool. Right? Action Comics number one, however has got a giant explosion in the background. (laughs) And if there's one thing that we've learned from YouTube videos and slow Mm -hmm. walks, upcoming top five, Mm -hmm. is when you have a giant explosion, you have a giant explosion behind your action, it instantly makes your shot and your scene and your video 10 billion times better. So because of that, I'm going with Action Comics number one. You had to say YouTube. Yeah, YouTube sent out some new stuff today saying, hey, you guys don't have a thousand subscribers and you don't have 4,000 hours of views in the last year. You're not getting any money from us. We're paying you off and closing you off from our advertisers. Let's not talk about YouTube. That's something we could talk about on Finally Friday. Let's instead see how everyone else voted this week. Well, yet another close battle. But not as close as you might have thought it would be. 56% of the vote leaning towards the Amazing Fantasy number 15 cover. 44% towards Action Comics number one. And this, I mean, this is tough. This is a tough one. And it's really going to come down to, there There aren't any benchmarks by which you say one is quantitatively you know, better. And, and there's a lot of arguments to put the Amazing Fa- Fantasy one in there. I mean, there's certainly a heck of a lot more detail than in the action comics. I mean, is this happening out in the mm-hmm. middle of the desert? What's going on? I, you know, um, you actually have there's to read explosion. the story. This is, this is one of those where the panel is actually the cover. Yeah. So, yeah. Scared of guy is running away. Plus, you've also got, no, this man is being in trouble. Uh, plus, you've also <laughs> got the, the two cent difference. On these two covers, which yeah, you know, but instantly tarnishes years one. between them. Uh, Jeffrey says, I've never been a big fan of the cover of Action Comics number one. It's iconic, but not a very cool cover. I voted for Amazing <gasps> Fantasy number 15. Two words, says Spider Spider Lover. <laughs> Web Pits. Spidey gets yeah. my vote. Uh, let's see. Thunderstruck said, I had to give the nod to Action Comics here. While they're both iconic images... I feel like Superman's first appearance would have had a greater impact on people reading comics at the time. Whereas by the time Spidey showed up, superheroes were really already a known quantity. Plus, I'm not that big of a fan of a comic cover with a lot of words stuck all over them. I believe the image should speak for itself. And then finally, Daniel says, while both are very iconic, the motion lines on Amazing Fantasy are off on a couple of levels for me. So it's got to be Action Comics, number one. Listeners, there's still time. You have just a few more days to vote. And this week's major spoilers poll of the week, because now we go into sudden death. Yes, dun, we're taking dun, all dun, of the winners dun, dun, from dun, the last dun, eight dun. weeks, and we are going to pit them in a battle royale. One by one, we've bracketed them out. They will go oh, head to head, one. head to head to head to head until finally we emerge with the most favorite cover of all time right here at Major Spoilers. And it's all because of your vote. So get out there. Vote now. Vote before next week. Majorspoilers.com. Vote early, vote often. Well, you really can't vote often unless you have multiple computers and multiple IPs and all that stuff. We use cookies. Mmm, cookies. Cookies. 
Cloak and Dagger. Cloak and what do we Dagger. Know, what do we know about uh, Cloak and Dagger? The runaways ran away to stay with them. <laughs> That's everything I knew before I read this series. Is oh, that what's going to happen in season two? Because it sure as heck didn't happen in season one. Um, Nothing happened in season one. <laughs> season we one is fine. We spent a whole episode watching Mrs. Minoru try to seduce Mr. Minoru. And I'm like, why am I watching the parents give each other underpants when I want to see the kids running away from alien monsters from beyond space? Did I tell you I watched Runaways? I enjoyed Runaways. I thought it was good. Uh, what I think is more likely to happen is that that will never happen on Runaways because Cloak and Dagger have their own show on a ridiculous network that nobody watches. It's it's I... called Cross Blart or something. Hey, you know, Gronish is on that and that yeah. girl's on fire. Yeah. Literally? <laughs> no. I I watch ABC Free Fram every Christmas <laughs> when they when they play Rudolph's Shiny New Year. That's how I discovered Alias in reruns and then figured out it was a regular show. I thought it was just something on uh, ABC Look, Family. As, as long as you pay attention to when the header comes up that says the opinions in the next show are not those of ABC Freeform Family and then run when that happens, you're fine. Oh, it's, on, it's only like religious programming comes on. I don't know. I run every oh, okay. time. So. With Cloak and Dagger, the series coming up, a lot of questions about who they are, where they come from, and mm -hmm. uh, what their deal is. And we find that in the pages of Spectacular Spider-Man over the course of a couple of years between 1974 and 1978. No, uh, 1980 something and 1984. Oh, 84. 84. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's over. Uh, yeah. 88 to 86. Something like that. Um, 84 to 86. Yeah. yeah. Because right in the middle of this series, Spidey gets a new suit. In the secret wars, yo. I know, right? More on that later this year. Majorspoilers.com. Ting! So this really starts out as a, as a Spider-Man, you know, story where he's, you know, trying to find out what's going on. Suddenly this guy in this dark cloak shows up and this woman uh, who he's just like smitten with, like, oh my God, she's so pretty. I just, I have a feeling and the spandex isn't helping. And then she shot me with her, with her light daggers and freezing my blood. And, um... Back and forth, back and forth as uh, Cloak and Dagger try to take down crime boss after crime boss after crime boss with Spider-Man suddenly stumbling in their way and each time trying to figure out a way to reform them. Yeah. And the, the three questions that popped okay. into my head. All right. First question. Question number one. Were any of you bothered by spider-man turning into this hardcore moralizer explaining to cloak and dagger how they were wrong and killing is always wrong and revenge is always a bad idea and never ever ever and that's not how any of this works because spider-man has always seemed like i mean he has a little bit more moral ambiguity in his backstory than so, that I, I was too busy go ahead I was going to say, my point's really short. Um, I was too busy being mad about Dagger's costume, literally, <laughs> the entire time. Wire. Now to Rodrigo. <laughs> it's held open with wire. Yeah, I've, I've, I've got some thoughts on that in that um, it really seemed to me that, um, you know, we're riding shotgun with Spider-Man. Right. And... He's like, no, you guys shouldn't kill people. It'll make you as bad as them. But, 
they're you know cloak and dagger are out like basically getting justice off of a corrupt system that is never going to give them justice right, right. they're like cloak and dagger sort of represent these like forgotten people they're teenage runaways drug addicts um uh, just kind of these like dread dregs of society that you know nobody cares about and they're kind of say what they keep saying is like nope sorry them going to jail for six months and posting bail is not good enough we yeah. want to stab them to death mm-hmm. and the whole time the way that the comic is framed you're supposed to be with spider-man and be like yes this would be bad if somebody did this but it, you know, the text boxes never take a stand. Like mm-hmm. the the action is always about action. It's all about Spider-Man jumping around and getting stabbed by light daggers. So no one ever says, and this is, you know, the, the book never continues with like, oh, they killed this guy. Now he'll never testify and we won't put his criminal brethren away. It's more about a rampaging cyborg. Mm-hmm. So... In the end, it's actually like you can totally read this book as like, here's Cloak and Dagger. They're trying to get justice that the system is never going to hand them, comma, Spider-Man gets in the way. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So for those that, are, that aren't aware, uh, Cloak and Dagger, two runaway kids that come to New York and are instantly mm-hmm. picked up by uh, by the the mob, in quotes. Drug dealers, man. Drug the, dealers. No, the mob who want to create their own own superpowers. So they kidnap all these so, kids. Well, not well, really kidnap them, but they 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 hustle them out they, to Ellis Island. They want and, to create d- designer drugs. Oh, that's right. They want to create designer drugs, and they hustle them out to Ellis Island, where they give them this drugs cooked up by this uh, dr- this uh, drug maker guy, and it kills all of them but these two. They escape, and then they develop right. their powers, and then they're like, "Hey, we're going on a ki- killing spree to kill all the guys that hurt us." Uh, and so they start with the drug maker. That's where we're introduced to the story. And then they start mm-hmm. to work their way up the line all the way up to Silvermane, who's supposed to be the head of this drug organization. And, mm-hmm. um, the, you know, uh, Silvermane turns into a cyborg, which is a whole other other story in itself. So, yes, <laughs> I agree with Rodrigo that there is this that's here's how I see it. Spider com- Spider-Man does come off a little bit holier than thou. Right. In that, hey, you guys should be good guys and, and do all these things. And there's a right way to do it when. You know, legally in the court system, Spider-Man does never do anything that could be admissible in court. Um, mm-hmm. And then you're supposed to look at the how horrid the mob is and how bad Kingpin and Silvermane are so that you go, OK, so here are the two sides of the spectrum. You have Spider-Man holier than thou and you have wicked, wicked, evil Silvermane and Kingpin on the other side and stuck in the middle with their conflicting story of what they should do and what they shouldn't do, because at some point um, uh, Dagger is starting to say, should we really be killing these guys? I mean, so they they rest in this gray area. And I think that gray area is where the reader then comes in and says, oh, I see what their dilemma is. I can see everybody's arguments from both sides. And then I think that endears, maybe not endears, but it causes the reader to engage more with these two characters to try to figure out what's going on with them. Hmm. Oh, there was one one last thing to my uh, to my rant is that uh, we always cut back to Spider-Man's daily life, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's like Spider-Man gets to throw on his cute sweater vest and go to the malt shop and hang out (laughs) with people. And, you know, so Spider-Man can be like, oh, yeah, the system works. Or like Mm -hmm. cloak and dagger don't get to go to the malt shop. Yeah. And 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 dagger never gets a vest. 
Yeah, yeah I, I was going to say, it. Uh, what's what's the relationship with Spider-Man and Mary Jane at this point? Uh, at this point, Mary Jane has been out of the comics for several years. Okay. She has just re-entered. In fact, I think in between the first appearance of Cloak and Dagger and the second or third, Mary Jane re-enters and explains to Spider-Man that part of the reason she's been missing is that she knows that Peter is Spider-Man. Okay. So in and it's, addition a, to, it's a big giant thing. So in addition to that, he currently mm-hmm. is in a relationship with Black Cat, Felicia. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a girl who has a boyfriend at his college who knows his secret as well, who I forget what her name is. Debbie. Deb. Is her name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Deb Does he have a relationship with her at some point? Sort of. Peter okay. sort of kind of dates several people in Spectacular well, and Deb is and, one of them. Yeah. And then on top of that, every time he sees, every time he sees Dagger, he's like, oh man, she's hot. Which brings us to Ashley's problem of, 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 uh, Dagger's costume. Allow me to point out. Uh, about Dagger's costume. Cloak and Dagger are 16 years old. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> okay. I just wanted to point that out because, I mean, well, the thing about know. the Dagger costume is it's an incredible visual. It's a really yeah. great look. And if the costume had the detailing without it being skin... I feel like it would it would be something that you could go, man, that's a great costume. I agree. Well, and- Do the detailing with like a blue or a yellow. Like you could have that same pseudo Christian imagery that they seem mm-hmm. to be going for, mm-hmm. um, including in their first four issue miniseries where even less of nothing happens. Um, but the <laughs> fact that it's cut out and is like, I don't know when Dazzler was created, but the whole time I was just like, you're like lame Dazzler. Dazzler was created in 77, so about seven years before this. And saying, you're a lame Dazzler, is saying something. Is saying something tremendous, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, she has her Petey the Dog tattoo, and she has her big, giant necklace like, you know, Joan Rivers in the 1980s. I think that the thing about Cloak and Dagger is they are one of those concepts that the first thing, you know, the first thing they came up with was the name. It's a cool oh, the name. name. Is, right. Yeah, the, obviously the name. And then, and the the, and then them being white and black. Right. The, <laughs> Literally. The light, the light and darkness dichotomy with the ham-fisted metaphor that literally one of them is in fact black and he is in a It's, you know, this is 1983 in a lot of ways. Cloak gets it better than many of his compatriots. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, Cloak at least speaks, you know, in a, in a, in in what feels like an educated manner in these pages. That's fair. Mm -hmm. That's very Mm -hmm. fair. They do sometimes draw him, though, like he's 45. Yes. And again, 16. He's supposed to be 16. But, Part of that is Al Milgram. And don't get me wrong. This is the thing. I love Al Milgram. I've, I've read interviews with Al Milgram. Uh, Al Milgram as an editor is one of those guys where you know you're in good hands. Al Milgram as a penciler. I don't, I don't know. I kind of like the like the first couple of issues in this. I the really like the art. It's like this really are who are Ed Hannigan. Yeah. Al I, Milgram. I'm, in about the third issue about when uh silvermane turns into a cyborg yes i think yeah that is where al kicks in and yeah the first al- couple the first couple mm-hmm. of page the first couple of issues i'm like ooh, i'm digging this art because you know all the mobsters dress like kind of like dapper 1970s mobsters for some reason everything just has this really and i know it's mid 80s 
but everything has this like kind of seventies vibe to it. Not, and I, I mean, it's not even, even the, the quote unquote drug dealer, bad guys kind of not really have kind of a, a warriors vibe to them and how they're styled, but it's just, it's, it's amazing to look at. And I kind of like how the, the first two or three issues are written as well. How it's just like, yeah, kind of noirish all- kind of reveal of what's going on in these lives of these people. And here it's, are this this cloak and dagger characters. I'm I'm really digging that. It's Mantlo, and one yeah. of the things that Mantlo does, as well as anybody uh, at any of the big two in the '80s, is that month to month folding in subplots, hooking mm-hmm. things together, mm-hmm. making the story keep going, and then bam, three issues later, hey, here's the Punisher, but okay, it makes sense. It's all you know, folding into these other things. Mantlo is really masterful in pulling these weird elements like, you know, a, a 90-year-old gangster is suddenly a cyborg monster. Yeah. And making it all feel like, oh, yeah, that made sense. Well, and from... From the standpoint of this is a Spider-Man comic, Cloak and Dagger are actually great characters as complications, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. Here are these morally ambiguous characters. Spider-Man can't just punch them until they stop moving because they're not bad guys. Um, And so also they're very powerful. You know, it's like part of the reason why Cloak and Dagger in their own stories or, or rarely ever get their own stories. And if they do, it sometimes doesn't quite work is because Cloak is extremely powerful. Mm-hmm. Like he can just eat anybody and mm-hmm. also teleport anywhere. And Dagger's usually powered up to match. Um, but as sort of these pseudo antagonists, basically these characters that show up and cause problems for Spider-Man, who is just, gosh darn it, trying to do the right thing, mm-hmm. um, they're actually very effective, and they're mm-hmm. interesting, and their motivations are interesting as sort of these side characters where that Spider-Man can't just be like, oh, I want to take you to jail so bad, you know, because mm-hmm. they're kids, and, you know, he's trying to figure them out. Right. I do think Bruce. they're interesting um, through the same lens of as, as Daredevil is, because to me, mm-hmm. they really feel more of a piece with him than with a character like Spider-Man. And it was weird Mm -hmm. to see them sort of palling around with Spider-Man because they do take sanctuary in this church. Um, Many of the titles of their solo series are lifted from Psalms. Like there's a lot (laughs) of that pseudo Catholic guilt thing that seemed to be hip at Marvel around this time that is evident (laughs) in these characters, but I think also not developed enough in this story. Oh, sure. Well, through slash life support tubes, the drug-filled yeah. fluid that kept Silvermane alive drips down, staining <laughs> the carpet red. Spider-Man, call it, Cloak thinks it's, it's all blood. in here. He's wrong. Dead wrong. Oh, man, I just love that. I'm not saying that I want all comic books to be uh, written like this, but I would I be okay if someone could really, really ape this style. Are you reading style. X-Men Grand Design? I am, <laughs> and that is that is a perfect example, Ashley. I really like X-Men Grand Design, and you're right. It does feel like this, maybe not cranked up this high, but it certainly feels that that kind of vibe. And um, I I would like to see some more comics in this style. I don't know if I don't know if it would fly with modern young readers today. But I I would if I could find something like that. And Conan was kind of written that way over in uh, over Dark Horse, because, of course, it's. You know, you got the, the the narrator telling you everything. 
Just yeah. pick up Ooh. the next Prince Valiant collection. There you go. There you go. The, the thing about uh, Spectacular, specifically in the 80, 82, 83, 84 area, is that Spectacular was meant to be street level spider-man it was meant to be spider-man that interfaced with the punisher that interfaced with the daredevil that interfaced with the heroes for hire this was meant to be spider-man specifically at the time focusing on the streets of new york so you had the gang war between the owl and dr octopus you had the punisher showing up and <laughs> this is actually where the yeah. whole punisher shooting jayhawks or jaywalks or thing comes in the Punisher goes nuts and starts treating all crime as equally worthy of a shot in the nose. Yeah. And, you know, it's meant to be grounded, more grounded than the battles that you would see in Amazing, which had a lot of the Plantastic Four stuff. It had the advanced uh, technology and the wild and the weird and the wacky. And I, I really love what Bill Mantlo does with these characters with specifically spider-man who is by 1983 has been around for 20 years you're dealing with a character who you've written tons of stories marvel has printed tons of stories and these still felt like something special something unique there's that point where the kingpin and spider-man have a measured discussion oh Mm -hmm. yeah yeah spider-man's like i've come to warn you and he's like you know nothing yeah, but I like I like that first appearance of Kingpin in this in this arc. Really good. Yeah, Kingpin at this this is post uh, Frank Miller Daredevil, I believe. So the Daredevil story that we read a few years ago, actually, no, that one comes after this. Maybe I don't remember. Now I have to do the math in my head. This is <laughs> these actually the issues collected here cross over about two years of comics. Mm-hmm. So I think that the first appearance of Kingpin here is post Daredevil Born Again, but it may not be because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. my brain is broken. Yeah. What was your what was your second? You had, you had three questions. What is question the yes. second? My second question was, is there anything cooler than Spider-Man's alien costume showing up with no explanation <laughs> And just being like, and now my costume is a living being and it glurps onto me like it's made of living glurp. Eh, is no. that not the best thing ever? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, totally. And and on top of that, like one of these issues just straight up ends with, oh, yeah, the Fantastic Four are helping me take it off. And the costume is like, I'm mad about that. I'm going to eat you. Yeah. There's a point in one of these issues where he literally has to stop and recount what happened a month earlier in Amazing Spider-Man oh, yeah. to get rid of the black costume, which I think is just I, – I love the fact that – and this may not be a selling point for everybody. This – every issue implies a greater universe going on outside. Oh, sure. Sure. That we're not thinking about. At one yeah. point, there, there's this big snowstorm that's actually tied into an issue of Thor, where Thor opened the cask of ancient winters. Mm. And every Marvel comic book that month had a blizzard in it hey, for uh, no reason at all. Here, here's a heads up, everyone. Look forward to October of 2018. Spider-Man: Birth of Venom. Mm, black costume lovers. Mm-hmm. There you go. Third question. Yeah. Tom Hardy will tweet more pictures that he's not supposed to of the other Venom symbiotes between yeah, now and go. then. There you go. Mm-hmm. Matthew, question the third. Tom. Question the third. As the story went on, 
Did anyone else feel like the art was getting somewhat cruder? Yes. Yeah. And that's why yeah. I say the first couple of issues were my favorite, because then all of a sudden I forget which one it's. It's definitely right around the time that Silvermane is running around, the, yeah, is yeah. running around the streets. And I'm just like, what and, is going on? And that's the thing is like, unfortunately, one of the biggest indicators of that is Silvermane because he's just mm-hmm. got such a complex design, right? Mm-hmm. He's not he's not like a like a like number one issue Iron Man like uh, rejoice I am Ultimo type of robot. He's like a little skeletal monster robot. Mm-hmm. So he's got all these lines, all these like shiny details and stuff like that. And it's like the more you see him, the the more like sort of messy all of that seems to become. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The messy I think is is the thing that really pops up for me especially by the time we get to that the final issue where he puts back on his webs and the webs feel like they're kind of out of whack and messy and i'm just like wow you as the as the story goes on you kind of wonder if they started you know they were doing the black costume for six or ten months and all of a sudden forgot how to draw the red and blue one (laughs) yeah i don't know yeah i do i and i also i do have one thing that i love about this there's a, the appearance in these pages, and I believe the death of the dumbest Marvel supervillain ever, the answer. Yeah. Do you know what his power is? Answering questions. He knows the answer, and his power adapts to answer any challenge. So how does he die? Because his power didn't adapt to answer a particular challenge. I think he comments on my YouTube videos. The answer, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, his real name is Waldo Um Actually. Yeah. <laughs> Ashley, so, so give me some uh, other thoughts on, on this series. I don't think we read now. Um, there is a complete collected edition of this Cloak and Dagger uh, story. Uh, we only, I think, read about half of it for, yeah, for this I, week. There is um, a four-issue mini that's collected. That's like the first Mantlo series, mm-hmm. I guess. Or like... Limited, yeah. Yeah. Um, also not very good. I read both of them because I don't know anything about Cloak and Dagger. And for me, um, what I noticed here is that the people who created Cloak and Dagger don't know that much about Cloak and Dagger. Um, The story, when you take Spider-Man out of it, is really like chasing the tale of who are these characters? How do they exist together? Is what they're doing morally correct? Which is what every Cloak and Dagger story I've ever encountered is. And I think, again, if you remove Spider-Man, one of Marvel's most popular and interesting characters, you're left with a little bit of a void. And I think that's too bad because I think on paper, the concept is good. Um, I think half of the costumes are good. (laughs) But this was a really tough book for me to not fall asleep reading. Yeah, I agree with Rodrigo that I think they work best in in this sense as... Mm -hmm. As partial antagonists. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're great characters to pop up and be a part of an ongoing story. That's about Spider-Man because honestly, when you look at their costumes, he's wearing a bed sheet and she's wearing a white leotard that clearly (laughs) has some, some wire cutouts to hold itself together. And that, I mean, visually they're not the point where you look and go, that's a great costume. They need their own series you look at this and go, somebody had an idea to do light and darkness and call them cloak and dagger. And then they filled in the rest of the blanks as they went. 
Which is great because later they figured out, oh, well, you know how they survived uh, the uh, terrible drugs, you guys. They're mutants. Yeah. And and Cloak and Dagger, there's mutants. And that's the thing. We need more mutants. (laughs) If you consider the long, proud history of characters who are team, they're a dual concept, and their whole thing is just that they come from a common expression cloak and dagger are actually doing really well for themselves yeah they, you know they it's like age much better than the hawk and the dove exactly hawk and they dove age. even even you know fire and ice like they yeah. often just kind of get relegated but you know you look at cloak and dagger you know uh, say whatever you want about dagger's costume they stand out there's just something about them together that it looks good it mm-hmm. fits well and um, you know, again, when there's sort of this like additional engine to the story, they actually push things along and make things interesting for Spider-Man, which is what you want out of the colossally titled Peter Parker Se- Super Secret Spider-Man uh, <laughs> series. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Spectacular. So bottom line, should people go and pick this series up, uh, Rodrigo? Um, I think, you know, if if what you want is a like a primer to what the cloak and dagger series is going to be, then no, Um, this is a Spider-Man show. Uh, If you want to see an example of what I like to call Lex Lutheritis, where you set up a a scary villain for two or three or six issues. And then at the end, they just turn into a giant rampaging robot. Then definitely. Yes. (laughs) Ashley. Uh, I would agree. I think, I think as, as a groundwork for wanting to understand more about where these characters on the TV show are coming from. This is not a great starting point. If you like Spider-Man, it's a good time. So maybe pick it up. <laughs> there you go. Man, Matthew. This is a small look into 80s Marvel. And as such, it has the hallmarks of good 80s Marvel. Uh, it has Bill Mantlo. It has ongoing storylines. It has an attempt to address larger social issues, not necessarily always successfully and not necessarily particularly subtly, but it does access these, these issues and say, yep, here's this thing. And these kids are being abducted and children are being forced to do stupid things and terrible things are happening. And these two got turned into super guys and now they're murdering everybody. So you kind of have that moment of here's a real social issue. And now we're going to make it go boong so that we can have a big fist fight. Um, it has Silvermane as a cyborg, which is probably the worst of the Silvermane. Not that Silvermane is in any way, one of Marvel's upper tier guys. And it does have through the end of it, the pencils of uh, a really nice guy, a really, really nice guy, somebody who I you know, would love to go out and maybe share a beer and talk about comics history with, but I don't necessarily need to see him drawing the Spider-Man every month. And so it's kind of a mixed bag. I would say if you feel like you're into old comics or if you feel like you want to be into old comics or if you'd like to get an idea of the kind of inconsistency that would plague an old comic as opposed to the inconsistency that would plague a comic in 2017, definitely mm-hmm. check it out. Mm-hmm. I think this is this is definitely a time capsule of 1983-84 
And so if that's something you feel like you're into or something you remember like I do and you're like, yeah, I sure would like to go back to being 14 and thinking how Spider-Man's gloopy costume is fun and gloopy, then yeah, this is definitely for you. I think if you want to find out more about Cloak and Dagger when that Freeform series comes up, this isn't really the book to read. Uh, I And I have a feeling that very little of what's going to be in that TV series comes from from this volume. That being said, the first couple of issues, I think, are fascinating from a lot of different standpoints. The storytelling, the art, the fact that here are these characters that are really somewhat villainous that eventually find their way to become heroes or, or named heroes. Uh, I think that is is uh, rather interesting. Uh, but I got to be honest with you, I got to the Silver Main uh, as a cyborg running around tearing up uh, New York City Cy- and all that stuff. Cyborg Main. And I was just like, I I, I kind of got to pass. Although, you know, you do got to like it when, and I guarantee you this will be in the Freeform series. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cloak is going to phase a subway train yes. back onto the tracks. That will be yes. in the show at some point. I guarantee it. Um, but otherwise, this is just visual. a, this is a so-so book. Um, so maybe pick it up, maybe not. I'm, I'm sure if you've got a Marvel Unlimited subscription, this might be in there somewhere. It if you've got is. Comixology, yeah. So see, you can just grab it, grab it there, and uh, and get a bunch of other Marvel comics at the same time. I don't think that this is a rush out and buy book, uh, but it certainly was, I would say, somewhat entertaining for me. So there you go. Mm. Uh, Ashley, where can people find you online? You can find me screaming about my brand new comic book issue that comes out tomorrow on Twitter and Instagram at Ashley B. Robinson and uh, Jawin, YouTube.com slash Jawin. We got a Black Lightning review that came out because that show's amazing. And uh, Geek History Lesson, where this week we're talking about Black Lightning. Imagine that. Yeah, it was good. I listened to that today. It was a really, really, good, uh, really good episode. So good job there. And of course, oh, uh, rush out and buy Jupiter Jet number two this week. Rodrigo, where can people find more of you? Uh, you can find me ranting about Overwatch at <laughs> Fearsome Critter on Twitter. And I have so many questions uh, for you about that. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> Uh, And Matthew, what about you? You can find me lining things up in sets of 10 and whining about how terrible I feel at Mighty King Cobra. Also, I'm on the Tumblr. I'll say something about every two to three months now just to make people remember that I'm there. And then I'll forget that I have Tumblr. But someday, man, someday Tumblr is going to be the inhabitant thing. And my Tumblr is going to be the center of the universe. And you're going to be all like, oh, I wish I'd been there. I'm sorry I missed it. And when that happens... I don't know. Give me $5 and we'll call it even, I guess. Next week on the Major Spoilers Podcast, we're going to be getting into some Batman. But not the kind of Batman that you are familiar with. You're going to have to find out what we're talking about next week on the Major Spoilers Podcast. And that wraps it up for this installment of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you so much for being part of the Major Spoilers experience. We will be back next week because we know that you love comics. We do, too. And we will talk with you soon. Stop talking about comic books or I'll kill you.
This podcast is copyright 2018 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. Has the winter season taken a toll on your tile, upholstery, carpet? Call Cyclone Cleaners, 570-726-6200. For all your carpet, upholstery, and ceramic tile cleaning needs, it's Cyclone Cleaners. Also offering odor treatment and soil and stain guard. Choose the only cleaning company that supplies the water to clean your home and disposes of it when they are finished. Call Cyclone Cleaners to schedule your cleaning today, 570-726-6200.